Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who chooses to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, Before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
if you choose to do that, we would also be grateful because that makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's far easier to do when we know how this stuff is landing for you, what's resonating for you, and how we might be a service in helping you get the maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. So, we have um, been working with the tools. One of them is a series of books. The most recent book we've been working with is the uh, A Walk in the Physical by uh, Christian Sundberg. And um, I'm I'm amazed at uh, how some of these authors, when they're writing, echo some of the best authors or the authors that have resonated the most deeply with me over the years. And I think I've mentioned before how Christian Sundberg and his clarity is reminiscent to me of uh, Krishnamurti and his clarity and his um, the purity of his observations. And for whatever reason, that led me this morning to revisit, second or third day in a row, uh, revisit the book by Anthony DeMello titled Awareness. Simply the one word, awareness and um, I think the, uh, the the way in which Anthony DeMello talks was probably directly influenced by Krishnamurti if I had to guess I would say that um there's so much similarity in the idea that what we're, we're called to do in the book Awareness is just be aware, just observe, not change, not judge, not label, just observe and be aware. And what happens when we begin doing that is that we start to be amazed at how we have not been living through awareness. We have not been truly living with our eyes open and seeing what we're doing with our thoughts that's uh, counterproductive. He tells the story of the woman who was uh, at an agricultural fair and Um, The guy was giving a lecture, and she said, you know, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Um, Old horse manure is the absolute best. And she said, now, from your research, can you tell us exactly how old the horse should be? And, of course, the audience breaks out laughing because it has nothing to do with the age of the horse. It has to do with the age of... How, how how long ago the manure came out of a horse, how, whatever the age of the horse. 
and we don't we don't observe directly and we don't stay open to being told that we're wrong we just we're living so blindly another story he tells is a person who runs into someone she thinks is John and John oh my goodness how you've changed over the years you've gotten so much taller you used to be so muscular and now you're so skinny and John says I'm not John I'm Henry and she goes and you've changed your name too that's what we're like we we just insist that our observations are accurate and we're holding out for that us being right in ways we're not even aware of and so can we step into a level of observation that's brand new that's deeper that's purer can we give up the idea that it's so important to be right and can we wake up to how little we actually do know if we're willing to do that then we're willing to learn something new right new it's it's not going to be recognizable to us when we find something new it is going to be a challenge to us when we find something new because we're going to discover that so many of the things that we were buying into that we were holding on to aren't right or don't have an absolute sense of value the way we have imagined that they did that the absolute value that most of us have been trained to place on things is within the constraints, to use the word that they use so often in the Walk in the Physical book, is within the constraints of the physical realm, the physical world. And what all of these teachings are trying to get us to understand is that there's a lot more going on here than just our physical world and the observations we make related to that physical world. So our call-in number again is 563-999-3581. If you press that number, call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll turn on your microphone, and we can have a conversation. How can we support you today? What is on your mind And I've mentioned this before, but I highly recommend the book Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Of course, he has several books. They're all quite good as far as I'm concerned. But the one that I keep coming back to most often is Awareness. And it is literally just, if you get the audio version of the book, it's actually his voice. And it's recordings of talks he was giving at various retreats. And the book itself is just the excerpts from some of those talks. Um, and in that way, again, it's a lot like the 
most of Krishnamurti's books, which are just, you know, Krishnamurti's best stuff as far as I'm concerned, came out when he was just in the moment and responding to someone's question. And it's the interplay between him and whoever's questioning him or him in the audience that's, that gives rise to some of the most direct observations and present moment kind of revelations. So since nobody has a hand up, we'll go back to the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg and essay number 120, which is titled You Are Free to Choose Your Beliefs. And the essay reads, You are completely free to choose what to believe. The only way this can be untrue is if you believe it's untrue. Your beliefs act as a filter through which you experience reality. Our physical reality is a place where you are able to buy into some set of ideas, including ideas about yourself and the world, and then experience exactly what it's like to have that perspective. This is bringing me back to a session I had yesterday with somebody who's... They have a, they have a set of, of observations. They think they're just pure observations about themselves. And they say, these are the facts. This is what's happening. This is, and I spent at least half the session trying to help this person understand that it's that what they perceive and the way they interpret what they perceive is powerfully impacted by their core beliefs about themselves, by their history and their family of origin, and by distortions that different filters and interpretations create that they're not aware of. And they were like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, you get the perspective of someone like me. I'm a psychologist with 49 years of experience doing therapy, and I can tell you this and this and this as general patterns of people. And you're not going to be aware of these general patterns and how strong these patterns are because you haven't studied it for all these years. You're coming at it from the perspective of one person whose field of study is in a completely different arena and you have all of these beliefs about yourself and whether or not you're good at this or that and whether or not people like you and whether or not you're valuable or lovable and whether or not the world is a harsh place. You have all of those filters in place that are creating your experience of these interactions that you are calling just all, this is the facts. And so I laid out several different ways to interpret what these facts are that this person has experienced and ways they can interpret them differently. And sure enough, it was opening vistas for this person to consider that they'd never considered before. Most of us don't believe how completely free we are to choose what to believe and how those choices of belief, most of them have been programmed into us and we're not aware of their choices, but 
when we become aware that it's been programmed into us and that we can choose or choose differently, now we have the choice. And how those beliefs and the filters for interpretation of life that we create with those beliefs dramatically impact our experience of life. So the essay goes on and says, does that mean that there is no absolute truth? And the essay says, no. Absolute truth exists within beingness. And yet beingness transcends all form. Beingness itself transcends all of the labels we put on this and not that. And I have the belief, I have this experience, I have this perception that you are bad and not good, that you are impatient rather than patient, that you are kind rather than mean, that you are valuable rather than having no value. All of that is happening within form and within my interpretation of my experience within form. But beingness transcends all of that and incorporates that and, and endless other things, endless other non-things. The essay goes on and says, That which we call God is the living conscious source of what you might call big picture truth. And yet God is not a thing. God is not just one thing among many, but rather God, life, love, all of creation, the source of one being with one mind, whatever you want to call it, is in fact beyond all sense of form, and the essence of life is what gives rise to form and everything that's not in form. Beingness is not beholden to what is perceived as objects or ideas, because these exist only because of beingness, and they exist within beingness. So objects and ideas cannot speak fully to what is happening, this big picture, capital W, what, capital I, is, capital H, happening. No ideas, no words, no objects, no observations in the physical realm can fully speak to all that is because there's so much more going on here than we can be aware of at the physical and conscious logical levels. The essay goes on and says, Meanwhile, as our consciousness is engaged in this form-based reality, of course we use form to understand and engage our physical experience. Our reality experience takes place within this consistent rule set that we call the physical world rule set. And it, it takes place within a rigorous context. So we intently look to that context for answers. In other words, we understand and we engage our experience through ideas and objects and symbols and sights and sounds and all the other many forms of our physical lives. That is good and natural. And the divine can and does work through those forms to engage with us. And yet ultimately, 
the big picture truth is beyond all naming. It's beyond all words. It's beyond all form. There's no way to even attempt to utter the depth and vastness of the big picture and that big picture truth using physical language. There's just no way to do it. As we strive in vain to do so, we might, however, say that the capital T truth is absolute and total, capital L, love, limitlessness, and transcendent beingness. So these are just words we're trying to use to say, look, what words do we have for things that go beyond words? Let's put a bunch of those together and and we'll say that's what it is that goes beyond words. The essence of all of that, which is beyond words, is what you truly are. You are not limited to your physical body, and you are not limited to your thoughts about yourself, and you're not limited to your past experiences, etc. The essay concludes with, as transcendent beingness yourself, you are absolutely free to decide how you will frame this reality experience that you're having. You have that power. If you don't believe you have that power, it's because you bought into that belief. Perhaps you did so long ago in your present earthly childhood, but the power is still yours. You cannot be what you really are. You cannot not be. I I misread that. You cannot be other than you were created to be. That's from the way of mastery. In this book, it just says, you cannot not be what you really are. You're always as you were created by your creator. The truth that is true always from the way of mastery is that you and your creator are one. You can never be separated from the forces that created you. The last sentence in this essay reads, your true being transcends the forms of your life and thus you, your true essence, always gets to choose how you will interpret and what you will believe about those forms. I think I mentioned this yesterday. I I interviewed a gentleman. His name is Lauren Michaels Harris. And he's chosen to believe that all of the abuses that happened to him in his life with 22 different mothers in the foster care system and being buffeted around from place to place, being lied to about what his real name was until he turned 18, and on and on and on, he's chosen to believe all of those were blessings in his life because all of those have led him to have the life he has now, which he never imagined could ever be as rewarding and splendid and happy as it is. Our true being transcends all of the forms of life, and thus we are always able to choose how we interpret these forms and these events that have happened to us, and what we believe about those events and those forms. And the way we choose to interpret and respond to these events in our lives is far more important than any single event. 
And that's exactly what, as a dynamic process, is what creates our experience of life moment to moment. The next essay is titled, You Can Trust Reality. And it reads, If you trust God, you trust reality. If you trust reality, you're trusting God. An experience of form is not an experience of the full reality of God, but physical reality does not occur apart from God. Physical reality is part of all it is. It's not the totality of all it is. And yet, if it exists, it exists within beingness. All occurs within the One, capital O-N-E. And all occurs in accordance with the divine laws of the One. Since those divine laws arise from unconditional love and unfathomable wisdom, all of our experiences ultimately take place within and for the purposes of unconditional love and unfathomable wisdom. The idea of the struggles that we have leading to our strengths and our the best things in our lives and and we're not able to see it often until after the fact. And yet, you know, here's here's the absolute truth about if you see a butterfly struggling to get out of its chrysalis or its cocoon and you decide to help it, you probably will injure, if not kill, the butterfly or make it impossible for the butterfly to develop fully. The struggle is necessary to the development of the creature. We can't learn about patience unless we decide to come into physical form and subject ourselves to situations where we want what we want when we want it and we learn to resist that urge, and it's through that process of the tension and the constraints and choosing for love despite these intense constraints that we develop our ability, we strengthen our choice of will for love. So the essay goes on and says, our reality system is one in which experiences of tremendous difficulty are possible. From this side of the veil, the physical side, as we are beset by so many difficulties and even burdened by the requirements of the physical survival situation itself, we tend to see reality as an adversary to strive against. And we, quote, fight to survive, close quotes, in many ways every day. And yet, what we are truly working to overcome is the difficulty we perceive from our relationship with the content of the present moment. What we are truly striving against is our own imperfection. Our rigorous universe with its high potential for challenge has been established purposefully 
It has been established so that we may expand the very nature of being. It has been established so that we may more deeply understand and apply the power of our own beliefs and interpretations. This world has been established so that we may truly learn what it means to grow in love and compassion even in these very challenging, rich contexts. No matter what happens, no matter how much pain you may be in or how dire the world may seem, your experience does not escape the bounds of God's or the life's or creation's perfect love and wisdom. Even if you rage in response, you are still held as cherished and valued and celebrated. Even if you denounce the world as terrible and and unjust, the divine laws of the Creator are working to fulfill plans of love and joy that are far beyond our comprehension. And we can choose to trust those plans. We can trust the love and wisdom of creation, of God, of life. Reality is not your enemy. Your only enemy is your own fear and your own resistance. Your obstacle is your own unwillingness to fully find and then meet your reality for exactly what it is in any given moment, beneath any stories that you create about it. Now that is not easy. Our own imperfection our own lack of knowledge, our own lack of experience is vast. Our fears are many and our wounds are deep. And our stories and our identities seem to protect us. So we hold on to them. And yet, while all of that is true, our reality is here for us to resolve that imperfection, to face those fears, to heal those wounds. And when we are genuinely ready to do that, when we trust reality enough to really take ownership of our experience and surrender to the fullness of the present moment, the Spirit can then flow through us and once again reveal the truth and the ever-present love and the joy that is the enduring foundation of even our earthly existence. But only when we are ready to face the truth of our lives as it actually is. So many of these teachings are based on our willingness to understand how little we truly know and how thoroughly our minds have been programmed. This is one of the things that comes so clearly through the Anthony DeMello book, Awareness. How thoroughly we have been programmed. And we've been programmed to think we're right when we reach a conclusion And anybody who doesn't agree with it is wrong. And we don't realize how 
everything that we label as right, wrong, good, bad, up, down, has been trained into us by other people who are just muddling their way through life and who have most of them had no idea how limiting their perception is based on their five senses. Most of the stuff that we've gotten from three and four and five generations back is coming from people who didn't even understand things like ultraviolet light and infrared and x-rays and MRIs and cell phones. And, and, and just think about that. What's right? What's wrong? What's of value? What should you fight for? How you need to defend your beliefs, even if you need to kill other people or take over other countries for it. All of that stuff, all of that insanity of the violence and the, the, the false delineations of differences that's been programmed into us by people who didn't even understand you know, a, a fraction of the science that we understand today, and the more our scientists learn, the more they realize how little they know. So, you know, this, this Educare Unlearning Foundation in Grafton, Illinois, it's a wonderful concept. How can we unlearn all the garbage? Right? And I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. The lines from the Kodachrome song by Paul Simon. We have been programmed with our language. We have been programmed by our culture and our family in ways that we're not even aware we've been programmed. And it, we've been programmed to like what we like and to not like what we don't like. And Anthony DeMello just keeps saying, wake up, wake up. What's it like to wake up? And he tells the story of this homeless man down on, under a bridge along the River Thames, nothing but his old ratty coat to roll himself up in and lay down and go to sleep. And as he's going to sleep one night, a, a limousine pulls up and a gorgeous woman gets out and she says, my good man, you're not going to sleep here under the bridge, are you? She says, I won't have it. Get in the car. And so he gets in the car and they drive and she says, you know, you look like you haven't eaten and you look terrible and we're going to get you all fixed up. And, and they drive on out into the country and she's got a beautiful estate and she tells her servants, you know, put him up in the servants' quarters and get him a good meal and get them cleaned up, and and then she gets busy with her evening, and then she's getting ready to go to bed for the night, and she remembers her guest, and she throws on a robe, and she pads down the hall, and she sees a light coming from under the door in the servants' quarters, and so she raps on the door slightly and comes in, and he's sitting on the bed, and he looks distressed, and she says, my good man, what's the matter? Didn't you get a good meal? And he says, oh, the finest meal I've ever had in my life. And um, she said, well, you look cold. You know, come over here. Let's get you under the covers. And, and she goes to tuck him in. And she says, wait a minute. Maybe I should get in there and help you warm the bed up. And so just scoot over a little bit. And so she pulls the covers up, and she gets in, and he scoots over a little bit and rolls right into the Thames. That's waking up. All the misery you think you have in your lives 
this work, all these other great spiritual teachings are telling us. It's a dream. It's an interpretation. From another perspective, put another lens on it. You are a miracle of life expressing in form. Regardless of the physical aches and pains you have, when you have the breath of life in you, you still have the ability to choose in that moment for love, to choose for appreciation, to choose for gratitude, to choose for joy or bliss if you so desire, just as you can choose bitterness and resentment. I think just yesterday we were talking to somebody, it might have been yesterday, I've had so many patients I can't remember whether it was a patient a little, but I think it was on a call yesterday on, on this show. I think Magda was talking about a resentment that she'd been building up. And we talked about, okay, so if I'm creating a resentment, it's happening inside me. And so I can apply a worksheet process and unravel what am I doing with my thoughts and the mind energy that I pour into those thoughts to create this emotion that I call resentment. And then I can take another step back and I can say, okay, so how, how is it that with this particular individual, I'm refusing to tell them what I would need or want or what would be comfortable for me in the relationship, but I would do it with others. I'm willing to tell other friends to be honest, even if I'm afraid they might take offense or you know, they might think of it as a criticism, and, and, but I'm not willing to do it with this person. So what's blocking me? from having the same level of honesty in this relationship as I do in another relationship. My beliefs, my trauma energies, my fears, my hopes, my cravings. And if I don't want to stay stuck in this unproductive pattern that blocks me from just speaking my truth to this person in a responsibility communication kind of a way, then I can apply the tools. I can do the worksheet process. I can do the EFT tapping. I can do the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter tool. And I can unravel what are those dynamics in me, those beliefs that I've been pouring my mind energy into that are making me feel this misery in this life experience. When in the same moment, with the next breath, with a shift of focus, appreciation for the miracle of life is available. The next essay is titled, Beingness Has No Lack, L-A-K, L-A-C-K. And, and the essay reads, There is no lack in your being. Lack is a perspective voluntarily entertained to help, quote, that which is, close quotes, to help your essence truly know what the abundance of its own nature is. Beingness has no lack. Lack is a, a perspective, an interpretation. Oh, I don't have as fancy a car as so-and-so. Oh, I don't have as much room in my house. I don't have as much stuff in my storage shed. I don't have as much food in my refrigerator. I don't have as much many dollars in my checking account as X, Y, or Z person. And I can generate craving, upset, resentment, 
bitterness, hurt. I I can generate any of those emotions if I start focusing on what I don't have that somebody else has that I want. And in that same moment, if there's the breath of life in me, especially if I'm anywhere listening through electronic devices to an audio recording like this show or listening to this live, what I have in my life is so much more than so many other people that I could choose the filter of gratitude, of feeling blessed, of feeling blissful, of feeling like I have so much I need to start giving in others. I've got to get the flow going because this is I, I can't contain it. I've got so much joy for all the, the beauty in my life and all of the resources I have. I literally, if you're listening to this and you are in possession of, or even if you're able to borrow somebody else's electronic device to hear this, what you have in your life is available for you to put a filter on an interpretation of that can generate deep gratitude and bliss. And yes, there might be other things that you can choose to focus your awareness on, physical aches and pains and loved ones that are ill. Yes, that's there too. And it's a choice of what you're going to focus on and pour your mind energy into that's going to generate your experience of life in the moment. I have, I've got a caseload full of people that are prime examples of this. And people come in and they're just wrought up with all of this isn't going right and he didn't say this and she didn't do that the right way and I can't believe that my dryer just went out and, 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 and now you know I'm going to have to wait until my next paycheck so... Uh, I'm going to have to go to the laundromat until my next paycheck so I can afford to buy a new dryer without having to go in, into debt. And, and no matter what it is, these people, you and I and everyone listening to this, has so many more blessings going on in his or her life than we do things to complain about, but we're trained by our culture and our family to be in judgment and to focus on what we don't have. And this essay, titled Beingness Has No Lack, helps us or is trying to help us look past the forms and the physical forms and all of the thoughts about what should and shouldn't be and understand that there's a level at which you are part of the consciousness of life and you are part of beingness itself And beingness is already perfect. The essay goes on and says, Beingness is already perfect. It does not have error or flaw. And yet beingness also works to create and to expand within manifestation. And through that, much growth in actualized joy and love is possible. And as Abraham Hicks would say, because of the contrast. So we're here in the physical realm and we learn to contrast what we appreciate and what we prefer to what we don't appreciate and we don't prefer. The essay goes on and says, this is true of you, this beingness having no lack, beingness already perfect. This is true of you. 
You have no lack. You are already perfect in your essence because you are beingness. It's one of the things in the Anthony DeMello book. Just this morning I was listening to, there are a number of different teachers from Eastern traditions. Their entire teaching is based on asking their students the question, who are you? And every answer you give about who you are is a limitation. It's based in thoughts, it's based in words, it's based in the derivatives of form, it's based in what you've been trained into, and seeing past all that to a true, deeper nature is part of the goal of those teachings. That's exactly what they're driving at here. You are part of beingness. As a part of beingness, as a part of consciousness, as a part of the flow of life and creation, you are already whole, you are already perfect, you have no lack. The essay goes on and says, even though your experience may have many apparent shortcomings, your perfect true nature transcends them all. The transcendent nature is not abstract. It is the real abiding truth that forms the foundation of your experience in form, including any given perception of lack the abiding truth of your transcendent nature forms the foundation of your experience even your ability to create the experience of having lack the last paragraph here reads know then that beneath the noise you are the fullness that surpasses all things What's the noise? The noise is your negative self-talk. The noise is every negative thought you have or every negative emotion. When you have a negative thought or a negative emotion, observation number 10 from my bottom line observation says, I can instantly know three things. Anytime I've got a negative thought active in my mind or a negative emotion going, I can instantly know three things. It's a lie or based in a falsehood. Number two It's an old tape playing. It's not about what's happening in the present moment. And number three, if I pour my mind energy into it and continue to think or speak or act from it, I'm just going to make my situation worse, not better. I cannot act from the negativity, the negative thoughts, the negative emotions without making my current situation worse, not better. It's just like throwing garbage on the buffet table right before dinner. It's not going to enhance the dining experience. Know then that beneath all the noise, you are the fullness of beingness that surpasses all things and all forms. And that that is true no matter how your local reality experience might appear to you. You can always choose for love. There's another way to say it. You can... Guy Finley has a series of stories he tells about the story we tell ourselves is what creates our experience of life. And... When we wake up and realize this isn't going to end well, 
the story I'm telling myself doesn't fit where I'd like to go, we stop telling ourselves that story, we open the possibility to start seeing and experience our lives dramatically differently. And it can change so quickly, instantaneously at times, that it seems miraculous. When a miracle, miracle, and this, this miraculous occurrence we're talking about is simply the making aware to us of something we'd previously been unaware of. It's just the, the, the truth of life is always there. But if we're not aware of it and all of a sudden we become aware of it, we think it's a miracle. I mean, I've got you know probably several dozen examples in the last week of my caseloads of people who are just they're in deep misery, they're in deep pain, they're in deep grief of loss when they focus on one particular part of their life. And when they shift the focus to another part of their life, they're filled with joy and gladness and aliveness and appreciation. And I can't believe how lucky I am to have this child or I can't believe how lucky I am to have this man or woman in my life and we both have jobs. And it just it goes on and on and on that they... they're when they choose a focus of something in their life that is less than what they want it to be and they pour their mind energy into it, they can generate intense discomfort and upset. And in the next moment, if they choose to shift the focus of their awareness and attention to something else that's already that's already there, that's truly a part of their lives, every bit as much as this other part they were upset about, you don't have to create a fantasy. They can just look at the essence of the truth of their life in another area and pour their mind energy into that and be filled with relief or joy or gratitude or happiness or contentment. So we have about 10 minutes left. That's all I'm going to read today. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, you can let us know how this is landing for you. What's on your mind? What's an area of your life you're waking up to? You're realizing that you're choosing an interpretation of your life events that is so narrow and negative that you're creating an upset and making that the primary focus in your life when it doesn't need to be. Or perhaps you want to refute what I'm saying because you have a tremendously different experience yourself. And it's not the way it works for you. 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1 on your phone. It is a Tuesday. I haven't mentioned this yet, but there will be a support group tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. It's absolutely free, and you're welcome to join us or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit from joining us. All the information about that group and how to join through Zoom is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. And we'd be happy to have you join us and or pass that information along to somebody else. There are um, some powerful shifts and benefits that people experience 
in those groups, and um, we'd be happy to have you join the ranks of somebody who experiences the benefits. I've got um, occasionally I'll have somebody who'll ask for the recording, and that happened again last Thursday. I only got to it just today, but there are benefits to be had from the community. There's benefits to be had from learning how to apply the tools. There's benefits to be had from being able to go back and listen again. And if you or someone you know would benefit from that, let us know or let them know and join us tonight at 6.30 Central Time. And in the meantime, we'll turn on the microphone for area code 610. Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. It's amazing how things fit together. Um, I, of course, have been fixated on this lazy man's guide to enlightenment. And there's a section in his book. It's The title of the section is How We Got Here. And I I know there are page numbers in the table of contents, but I, when I printed mine out, there are no page numbers. I could count in, but I, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight paragraphs past that How We Got Here title. He says, you can't feel pain until you're stupid. I think that is the funniest, truest thing. But in a way, when you say you're in error, if you're in pain, you're in error. You're in error because you're stupid. He's not trying to be insulting, but he looks upon us as in various stages of density. Being incarnated on the planet makes us extremely dense. We're dense enough that we have actually taken on physical form. And so we're all dense. But he said, even though we're moving around with these bodies, we can become less dense by expanding and more dense by contracting. And then he he has a place in there a couple of paragraphs before and at some point maybe there's not time today he has this illustration about Pluto the dog and I still haven't quite understood the whole thing and would love to be able to go through it slowly but it's an illustration about how when we're totally dense we are totally stupid and he says Pain is the experience of not being able to get into the same space with others. In other words, we're so dense that we can't expand enough to actually interact truly with other people. We're not, we are indrawn. We're kind of isolated, but those are poor words for it too. I think I get this, but he started with this story about Pluto the, Pluto the dog, which I think illustrates this it's five of so i don't know if we can do it but if so you want what to say is anything the, what's the illustration with pluto the dog 
He says, all conceivable universes in all conceivable dimensions exist in the one mind, capital O, capital M, as pure idea or archetype. When any of us withdraws from a willingness to create any aspect of that, I'm not sure what he means by that, we drop to a lower vibration level. For this illustration, imagine we are a great number of energy beings who are indifferent to the idea of Pluto the dog. Since we are denser than space beings, they would propel us and we would appear in space as a flowing, flashing image of Pluto the dog, looking like a fireworks display, perhaps. He goes on from there, but I can't get my mind quite around that one. And if we get even denser still and deny the existence of Pluto the dog totally, we will actually manifest physically Pluto the dog. So I guess he's saying if we go into deeper and deeper denial, we actually materialize as the very thing we are denying. It's a little much for the end of the show, I know. Okay, but it does sound reasonable, right? It's the idea that in a general sense, when we think we know, we don't know. And yet we're going to create our experience based on what I was just reading from, you know, the walk in the physical. If I believe there is nothing but my physical life, there is no spirituality, there is no higher self, there is no awareness, there is no deity, there's no God, there's no spirit beings, there's no people who exist in the non-physical realm. I believe that. I create an experience. And my senses and my interactions with people validate it over and over and over again. It seems as evident to me as the hand on the end of my arm. Yeah. Right? In the same moment... I can be in a room full of people who are open to that, who are getting intuitive hits, who are seeing auras, who are hearing voices of other people saying, you know, be gentle with him. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And, and, and they can have a life experience of great expansion and access mm-hmm. to other realms of input. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be as, as certain of my experience as they are going to be as certain of theirs. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is the more we expand and stay flexible and are open to being taught, the less we experience ourselves in this thing we call pain. And the more we dumb ourselves mm-hmm. down and assume we're right and what what what's coming through our senses is all there is, the more we create that contraction that gives rise to the pain and discomfort and dissatisfaction. Mm. That's how I would summarize it. Good. All right. Well, thank you again for the call here at the end of the hour. I will mute you so you can listen in. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. 
So welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is June the 27th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael just a minute to dial in. And uh, I will. Yes. All right. And we are going to Chapter 10 of Michael Singer's Untethered Soul. And I will start reading while we're waiting on Michael to dial in. And this chapter is called Stealing Freedom for Your Soul. Maybe it doesn't use the exact wording that we should use because we don't want to steal. We want to maintain truth for our soul, freedom for our soul. The prerequisite to true freedom is to decide that you do not want to suffer anymore. You must decide that you want to enjoy your life and that there is no reason for stress, inner pain, or fear. Every day we bear a burden that we would not be bearing. We fear that we are not good enough or that we will fail. We experience insecurity, anxiety, and self-consciousness. We fear that people will turn on us, take advantage of us, or stop loving us. And of course we know that you don't love anyone, that you are love. All of these things burden us tremendously as we try to have open and loving relationships, as we try to succeed and express ourselves, There is an inner weight that we carry. This weight is the fear of experiencing pain, anguish, or sorrow. Every day we are either feeling it or we are protecting ourselves from feeling it. It is such a core influence that we don't even realize how prevalent it is. When Buddha said that all of life is suffering, this is what he was referring to. People do not understand how much they are suffering because... They have never experienced what it is like to not suffer. To put this into perspective, imagine what it would be like if neither you nor anyone you know has ever been healthy. Everyone has always had major ailments, so acute that they can hardly get out of bed. In this world, nothing gets done that can't be done near the bedside. If that were the case, and people wouldn't know anything different. They would have to use all of their energy just to drag their bodies along, and there would be no concept or understanding of health and vitality. That is exactly what's going on with the mental and emotional energies that make up your psyche. Your inner sensitivities expose you to a minute-to-minute, constant situation in which you are suffering to one degree or another. You are either trying to stop suffering controlling your environment to avoid suffering, or worrying about suffering in the future. This state of affairs is so prevalent that you don't see it, just as a fish doesn't see the water. You only notice that you're suffering when it gets worse than usual. You admit you have a problem when it gets so bad that it actually begins to affect your everyday behavior. But in truth, you're having constant issues with your psyche during your normal daily life. 
To truly see this, compare your relationship with your mind to your relationship with your body. Under normal, healthy situations, you are not thinking about your body. You just go about your business, walking, driving, working, playing, without focusing on it. You only think about your body when there is a problem. In contrast, you think about your psychological well-being all the time. People are constantly thinking things like, what if I get put on the spot? What should I say? I get so nervous if I'm not prepared. That is suffering. That constant anxious inner talk is a form of suffering. Can I really trust him? What if I expose myself and I get taken advantage of? I don't ever want to go through that again. That is the pain of having to think about yourself all the time. Why do we have to think about ourselves all the time? Why are so many thoughts about I, me, and mine? Look how often you think about how you're doing, whether you like things or not, and how to rearrange the world to please yourself. You think like this because you're not okay. Hold on just a minute, baby. Excuse me, I just lost my place. Um... Why are so many thoughts about I, me, and mine? Look how often you think about how you're doing, whether you like things or not, and how to rearrange the world to please yourself. You think like this because you're not okay inside, and you're constantly trying to make yourself feel better. If your body had been okay for had not been okay for a very long time, you'd find yourself constantly thinking about how to protect it, how to make it feel better. This is exactly what's going on with your psyche. The only reason that you think about your psychological well-being so much is because it has not been okay for a very long time. It's actually quite fragile in there. Just about anything can upset the psyche. To end suffering, you must first realize that your psyche is not okay. You must then acknowledge that it does not have to be that way. It can be healthy. It is truly a gift just to realize that you don't have to put up with or protect your psyche. You don't have to constantly be mulling over what you said or what this person thinks of you. What kind of life are you going to have if you worry about these things all the time? Inner sensitivity is a symptom of non-well-being. It's the same as when the body sends pain and displays other symptoms when it's not well. Pain is not bad. It's how the body talks to you. When you overeat and you get a stomach ache, when you do something that puts too much stress on your arm and it starts to hurt, the body is communicating through its universal language, pain. Your psyche is communicating through its universal language, fear, self-consciousness, jealousy, insecurity, anxiety. They are all fear. If you mistreat an animal, it becomes afraid. This is what has happened to your psyche. You have mistreated it by giving it a responsibility that is incomprehensible. Just stop for a moment and see what you have given your mind to do. You said to your mind, I want everyone to like me. I don't want anyone to speak badly of me. I want everything I say and do to be acceptable and pleasing to everyone. I don't want anyone to hurt me. I don't want anything to happen that I don't like. And I want everything to happen that I do like. Then you said, now, mind, figure out how to make every one of these things a reality. 
even if you have to think about it day and night. And, of course, your mind said, I'm on the job. I will work on it constantly. I'm going to stop right there and let Michael talk for a moment while I get this little girl settled, and then I'll be back if I need to read. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Gerhardt. Welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And as Michael Singer in the book Genies Are Eating is talking about suffering, I invite everybody to uh, to jump on our website, which is whyagain.org. And under media, there are two files, which are the first two chapters of my book, The End of Suffering. This is a book that I started several years ago, and I never did finish. But there are two chapters out there. Actually, it's probably now mm, 17 or 18 years ago, Jean and I were on the road, and, and we were in um, Sarasota, Florida. And we were speaking at Unity of Sarasota, and the minister there, Don Jackson, friend, bless his heart, he's passed, had been studying my work, and I had shared the book with him, and we did a Sunday afternoon workshop where we took the first two chapters of the book. The book is written somewhat like the Why Is This Happening to Me Again book, where I'm talking to this character, Richard, only it's Yeshua talking to an unidentified character. And the whole idea is that it it is based in the work of forgiveness, which is how to alleviate suffering. You know, most people, as Michael's talking about, try to rearrange circumstances, try and control the world, try and change what other people are doing so they don't have to bump up inside of the pain that's in themselves. So the end of suffering is the beginning of a conversation between Yeshua and a character around this idea of why do we suffer and what can we do about it. So if you want to check out those two chapters, you might find that interesting. And beyond that, the bottom line of suffering is that it's all sin. Now, you remember that we've elucidated the Aramaic meaning of the word sin, which is an archery term that simply means off the mark. If you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin, you're off the mark. That's all the word means. I also like to use it as an acronym, S-I-N, self-inflicted nonsense. We do this whole suffering things to our thing to ourselves. You notice how often someone will talk about how this terrible person inflicted all this pain on them and how hurt they are and everything, and they haven't seen the person for 10 years. I was working with someone actually today and uh, you know, conversing about their desire to step into a deeper level of the work. And as we started to, you know, like the, the idea was, I really want to heal. And the conversation went forward. And as I started to point out, after listening to her speech, some of the words that she was using, some of the things she indicated through her words were going on. <clears throat> it's like, well, yeah, Michael, I want to heal, but, but I don't want to go into that stuff. I don't want to deal with that. Well, my offering is that the purpose of life 
is to kick us right square in the limitation. Life abhors us being diseased. And if we hold a disease energy, the world is set up so that life will hone in on the disease energy. I don't care how far away you try to run, life is going to bring it up for you. And the reason for that is because the, the universe is brilliantly built on this principle of resonance. And resonance means that there is an energy exchange going on continuously between your mind and everything and everyone around you. And anyone that's in resonance with what you're holding in your mind, i.e., I don't want to deal with this pain, the person who has the ability to inflict that pain on you is the only person that can hear that energetic message, that high energy wave that leaves the mind when we think a thought. And because of that law of resonance, it's also been called the law of attraction. We draw people to us, especially according to what we don't want. Because, of course, the more we don't want something, the more we focused on it, the more it's come and bitten us in the butt, the more we've said, no, never again, never again, when the opposite approach is where the healing is. Rather than pushing it down, which means pushing it, pushing it inside, and by pushing it down, intensifying it, that energy that's pushed down is squeezed out into the world. And because of the law of resonance, the only people that are going to be attracted to that particular energy are those who have the matching bag of garbage. In fact, most people are attracted and create relationships based in their matching bags of garbage. And people call those love relationships. You notice what, I think, something in the range of 50-plus percent of marriages end in divorce. Why is that? I thought marriage was supposed to be about love. And, you know, frankly, if you look at the great number of the rest of them that don't end in divorce, people are carrying around their bags of garbage, trying to control the people around them so they don't, they're not triggered into activity and trying to avoid what, what it is that you're carrying within themselves. So it becomes this self-inflicted nonsense. And what we're suggesting is that the opposite approach is where healing lies. Rather than pushing it away and running away from it, stand in the space of I'm willing to have whatever needs to happen in my world show up to resonate this so that I can look at it. And then as I start to look at it and I own it and I take responsibility, then literally in an instant, in a fraction of a second, one breath and those old energetic patterns can be dissolved. Because you'll notice when pain and trauma occur, when suffering occurs, people are invariably holding their breath. And it's the holding of the breath that is the locking down of the energy that intensifies literally the measurable high energy wave that leaves the mind when we think a thought. And it's that high energy wave that draws somebody in to play that situation out with us again and again and again. When I turn around, instead of the outer focus, you know, you look at how most of us came into the world and what did the world do? It started to focus us there. Start started to make us, oh, look at this shiny toy I have. 
Oh, look at the education I have. Look at the money I have. Look at the job I have. Look at all the things I can give you. And so people become outwardly focused and don't take the time to go inside and spend time internally looking at what's going on there. And when you look at the amount of trauma and suffering in the world, even the people who look like they're living on top of the world, you look at the expression, just just take a look around at some of the big money flowing through the culture and the misery and the strife and the conflict and the rage and the hatred and the vengeance and the viciousness that goes along with it. What we're suggesting is you change the dynamic of being focused out there and you start to take time to go inside, become focused internally, and come into relationship with whatever's in there. And if there is any pattern of generational suffering, it is that that will assist in dissolving the pattern. When that's allowed to come to the light, and in that space of light there is the presence of love, then the pain and suffering literally begin to dissolve. The dissolution of pain and suffering is called forgiveness, the removal of what never belonged or the transmutation of what never belonged within the system. And if you're not using that tool, we invite you to go to our website. Again, the website is whyagain.org. And in the upper left-hand corner of the home page, you'll see a link that says Start Here. I invite you to click that link and start to walk through the whole process of forgiveness. There are hundreds of hours of material that will give you everything we know about the forgiveness process. Nothing is withheld. It's all there. And, of course, we're here Monday through Friday from 1 till 2 o'clock. And Dr. Tim's here from noon to 1 in order to support people who have questions about their healing process. So the invitation is to go to work with those tools, and when questions arise, which no doubt they will, we're here to answer those questions. You can also go to your app store on your phone and simply type in the word Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. What you'll see when you type that into your app store is the world's only forgiveness app. You can download it free. It's specifically designed to be an extremely private app. And on that app, you can tap into either one of two different forms of the reality management forgiveness process, and or there's also a children's game called the Dragon Klingon game, which some old adults like to, to play with as well. It's a simple way of approaching the process of forgiveness. But however you do it, we invite you to, you can, you can also go to the website and just download, you know, print the worksheets off. And uh, on our YouTube channel, there are dozens of videos that we did release just a few months ago, the latest version, a three-hour version of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, 
up until a few months ago, that was a workshop that was either part of an intensive or you had to buy the DVD or the CD. But we uh, did a, a recent rendition of Why Is This Happening to Me Again and put it out on the website free or on YouTube free. And so there are lots of ways to access the material, and we're here to support you in picking those tools up and putting them to work and changing the game of your life. And we're delighted you're here to be part of the conversation. Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the chat room or anything happening in the phone queue? Um, Yank is in the chat room with me. Uh, nobody has – oh, a hand just went up. And I believe oh, it hey, is Terry. <laughs> I believe this is Terry, awesome. 336. You're on the air. Hi, guys. Well, hey there, Terry Bowling. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing so good. It's so good to hear you and uh, listen to the stuff. And while you were talking, I I did uh, go on to the website, and every time it's like, wow, i got to cancel some goals because there's so much stuff there I can't possibly absorb it with one scan. You know what I mean? One scan is never going to – it didn't get on there with one scan either, Terry. There are over 20,000 pages now. So, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's something that takes some time to absorb. It's incredible. But our commitment it's is incredible. what we're working to do is to put it out there so that it's available to anybody. And as deep as people want to go, there it is. And, of course, the radio show is here to help to uh, fill in the blanks of what uh, what isn't understandable for folks. So, Yeah, and so uh, – even though I've been connected to you with you now for or well over 20 years, and I've done uh, thousands of worksheets, attended several several workshops, spent two years at Heartland, I'm just a beginner. Well, I understand the thought, Terry, because I sometimes <laughs> feel the same, even now. Yeah. And hey, it's like I'm just I, really I, scratching um, the surface. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, okay, good, all right, all right, we're going to do a little bit more. Now, um, you had uh, you had the pleasure of speaking to my buddy Dan. Yes, I did. Yeah, I had a nice conversation with him. He sounds now, like Dan you, you prepared him well and he's ready to go for it. Well, I, I, he was introduced to the worksheets uh, probably around eight, eight years ago, something like that, eight or ten years, I'm not sure, quite a while ago him and some of the fellows that we were uh, meeting and working, doing some other recovery stuff, you know, up in the mountains there. And so right. what comes to mind is, would you share, um, and Dan's listening today too. And uh, hey, I invited Welcome. him to jump on. Yeah, I invited him to jump in and ask you a question. He said, well, I might just sit back and listen today. But he is really, really in it. He's opened it up uh been doing the worksheets here. We did a few together while he visited me. But we're, what, what is that little saying that uh, uh, about the three, was it the three reactions that people have when you really uh, uh, catch on fire with this work, so to speak? Oh, you mean when you want to share it with somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, there are a lot of, varied reactions it's like thank you very much i'm not interested or thank you very much i understand you have a problem but i don't have any problems it's not this isn't for me i don't need this yeah Uh or 
get the hell out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, what we're inviting people to do, when when you really realize what 2,000 years ago Yeshua was inviting people to do, and when he did that directly with them, what is recorded is that they, half of the disciples that were there said, too hard a saying, and they left. What we're asking people to do ultimately, literally, is to face, surface, and process through every single piece of generational pain within their structures. And it's a monumental task. It's so monumental that it's almost inconceivable, but at the same time, once you realize it's there to be done, what else is there to do? You know, it's like, you know, your your life comes from this mass database that you hold, and if there's trauma and drama in it, then what you get out of it is trauma and drama. So, when you realize that that's that it's not the external world that's the cause of the drama and trauma, what else is there to do but take on the task of cleaning it up? And, you know, the reason why there's a 20,000-page website and the reason why we've been doing this radio show for the last 12 years is we're doing the best we can to make the technology and the understanding and the support available that inspires people to take it and actually face what's going on in themselves and clean it up. I was listening to Jeannie's reading, and I missed the first couple of minutes that identified where that came from. Where did that writing come from? It's a book written by a man named Michael Singer, who actually did the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop about, I'm not even sure, 25, 30 years ago down in Central Florida. He has a uh, a retreat center there. And uh, he, Michael Singer, he's, he's actually a technology guy. He became quite wealthy in the technology world and went into doing spiritual work. Uh, he's taken a path toward an, kind of an Eastern mystic sort of thing. And the name of the book that she's reading from is um, The Untethered Soul. You know, freeing yourself as a human being, my, my interpretation of that, I haven't read his book, but my interpretation would be that it's about freeing oneself, untethering oneself from the generational insanity of the world, you know, getting loose from the, the fear, the hate, the grief, the pain, the drama, and the trauma. Yeah, and it, it brought to mind, and thank you, Jeannie, for reading that. It was a really nice, beautiful reading. And as she was reading that, I remembered there was a little uh, uh, point in my life. Uh, this was about eight or nine years ago, too, up in the mountains there. And I was really trying to figure out what was it that motivated me and moved me to start seeking a way out, so to speak, a better way. And what what it came down to, and this was like very insightful to me, but later on it's like, okay, maybe not so. But what came to me was, hey, I just want to feel better. You know, that's what yeah. got it started. I just wanted to feel better. I got so excited about that. I jumped out there and bought the domain name and thought, this is it. This is going to be great. But, you know, in, in its simplicity, it, but to me it had, had a lot of rich meaning, but 
most people haven't had the same reaction to it that I did, but it summed up exactly what uh, Gene was reading, you know? Yeah. And, you know, no no two people have the same reality for anything because no two people have the same brain cells. And from the work you did, that insight was like, whoa, rich with meaning that other people go, yeah, well, they're just words <laughs> because they yeah, don't have the exactly. content of the mind. You know, Yeshua talks about his work, and, and this is in essence what he's saying. He says his work is only for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And I think we can fairly safely assume that most everybody in the audience had what we call eyes and ears. It wasn't that. But the, the, to have the brain cells, you can't hear. Actually, there's a uh, a movie out there that was called The Accountant. Did you ever see that? Oh, movie? yeah. I like that Remember movie. the song at the end of it? The thing that really got my attention was the song at the very end of the movie. And the key line in the song was, you can't read a book that you haven't written. Mm. Well, Got to have the brain cells. Yeah, I've watched you know, it I, three times, probably due to watch it again, yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that song, that was, that, that's like the standout line in that whole film, and I thought it was pretty powerful, mm-hmm. was the insight to realize, and that's exactly what Yeshua was saying, is you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. That's exactly what you were just saying. Gee, this is such an exciting phrase. I just want to feel better. I'm going to get that website. And other people go, yeah. They don't have the brain cells. <laughs> the eyes to see and the ears to hear, what you see and hear in it. And, and that's yeah. why it takes time. You know, the average person uh, with this work, my observation is to really start to start to get what it is we're talking about, it takes them five to ten years of engagement with this work to go, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Got to build the brain cells. And the, the parallel to that is you've got to dump the stuff that blocks the higher awareness. You've got to forgive what never belonged within the structure. Were you around, by the way, I don't know, Terry's from Sarasota. That's where I originally met Terry. Were you around when Don Jackson and I did the reading of The End of Suffering? You, you know, I there? don't know, Michael. Somebody, yeah, somebody, uh, I was around the Unity. That's where I first met you. Was it Don's right. Church, yeah. Unity? I don't yeah. remember if recall uh, that particular reading because of that super experience I had in that first workshop. I was, like, right. walking around in amazement for... Ever. Till <laughs> yeah. till the mind takes over again. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the ultimate act of healing is you gotta be out of your mind. And when you get to do that, all of a sudden you get the richness of what the actuality of the world is and it's just mind boggling. And as long as we're locked into our minds, it's like, oh, well, now my mind says this and my mind says that. And my mind does this and I have this trauma and this trauma and this pain and this blame. And got to be out of your mind. And it takes time to, to get loose of the grip of the mind. You know, it's, uh, I took this little seminar thing 30 years ago or so, and these guys were actually trying to get people to uh, sell insurance is what it boiled down to. But they they brought you in and all this cloak and dagger stuff and got you in this classroom. And then the superstar salesman comes in there and he, he puts it out there. But he said one thing that was my takeaway. 
He said, out of all you people in here, he says, I'm not kidding myself. Most of y'all aren't going to do anything. He says, uh, he says, but I'll tell you what, what my, uh, what his little mantra was. He says it was like a, a, a horse, a horse, uh, a horse racing term. It says you got to have, uh, um, 10,000 duds to get one stud when you're breeding horses, yeah. you know. That one mm. I said, that was, yeah. and you can apply it to a lot of things. I told Dan he was my stud. Dan's oh, one of the 10,000 <laughs> people that's listened to it, and baby, he's on fire. I'm so glad he's on the yeah. show, and that he's, uh, he's, kind of, he's in that place where he's just uh, uh, ready and excited, and he's really digging into it, so... Uh, I wanted to throw that one out there and acknowledge Dan. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm delighted, and and I certainly hear that you need to have ten thousand. You know, and you know, over the years, I've watched people who've come to this work and then disappeared, and I've seen it take in one particular case. I'm thinking of a particular woman who had done you know maybe a year or two of this work and then one day just disappeared, gone, never heard from her, never saw her. And 10 years later, she's on the phone, all excited. Michael, I went to my books this morning. I was getting a book off the shelf, and, and your book fell on my and hit me on the head, and I realized <laughs> I needed to read it, yeah. realized I needed to read it, and I'm ready for an intensive. Is there an intensive going this week? I need to get there. And, you know, when when people are ready, they're ready, and when they're not, they're not, and it takes as I say, five to ten years for people to really get, to build the brain cells, to, to really have, the, for the mind to have the ability to even start to replicate, to produce an understanding of what it's really all about. Oftentimes the melody line of that song, What's It All About Elfie, goes through my head. Mm. And without the brain cells, you know, people are introduced to this. They see somebody that's excited, and they just go, "Duh, what are you talking about? That sounds pretty stupid to me." Until the thing things click, and then the mind can generate. Ah, oh, these are the possibilities. Now we got something real going on. Exactly. I love uh, Shotgun Willie. It's a song by Willie Nelson, one of his early songs, and he sings in there. Well, you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. You can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. So you got to have you something, some awareness there to connect with. Yep. You can't read a book you haven't written. There you go. Same thing. Yep. Similar. Yep. That's it. That's it. Very cool. Well, I appreciate your dedication to the work and all the years you've been and stepping in and stepping up and doing another piece and another piece and sharing it with other people, that's pretty awesome. And Dan, delight to connect with you. Yeah, he, he is something else. I, I think I enjoy working with Dan too, and uh, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Very well. I'm excited about your excitement. It's pretty cool. Pretty sweet. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to let uh, Denny dial in and see if there's anybody else waiting to talk. All right, my friend, you have a blessed one. Lots of love. You too, buddy. Take bye care. Bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, Miss Jeannie. We've got about, well, I don't know, 
35 minutes left, so what's happening? Well, 24 minutes. <laughs> um, 24, okay. We do not okay. have a hand up. Yeah. So if somebody has a question, press 1, and it'll put your hand up. Oh, we had a hand go up, and I believe this is Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hello, folks. Well, hey there. How do you do, young lady? We haven't heard your voice in a while. Well, and I missed most of the show because I'm still fussing with talking to doctors and blood people and so forth, uh, trying to find out what's going on here. And uh, so I'm sorry I missed whatever intro you did, Michael. I'm not even calling to comment on it because I didn't hear it. So okay. I hope you're all well. And We're rocking, going okay. doing well. Good. Yes, That's yes, great. as a matter of fact, we're we're just moving forward. Good. In every arena. Did you Did you I know it's a lot to ask and you're reading stuff all the time, but I sent you a short short book called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. I wondered it if it came you in had the mail yesterday afternoon. I Not actually ordered long. it. it took it took, oh, I actually ordered, ordered it, it? And, and, yeah, I ended up ordering Yes, I got your, your copy of it, too, and I can reach my hand over it. It's just a little tiny. I was surprised it's about uh, a book that's about uh, four by six and has a really right. cool blue mandala on the cover, and I haven't, yeah. haven't opened it yet. Well, and I did get the I... link that you sent me, and we've, we've been working on opening a new... We added about a 700-square-foot space to our uh, native species garden, and so we've yeah. been really focused on getting that done before the hot weather comes. And so I have not uh, listened to the link that you sent me on YouTube, but it's in my plan. That's fine. It's, it's, in the, it's the same as the book. And I'm not sure right. whether it's the author reading it or not. He, he is no longer in the body. Uh, I think he died a few years ago, but um, uh, it has been a huge help, partly just because he puts the work, different words, and comes at it from a different angle, and it helps me understand the tools. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's just been massively exciting, particularly right now when I like to use your word i'm in a healing crisis but it's gone on a bit long and uh i'm just hoping to come out the other side of it well we'll hold the space that you do and you keep breathing and embracing whatever is moving and coming up and keying back into the presence of love thanks any reports on domas yurake's boy you know, they, it, we've we've been communicating with her. We actually sent her an Avison for him to use, and uh, he he had a bunch of friends. I think it was maybe something like forty people that came over to his house a couple of weeks ago, and uh, mm-hmm. they all a bunch of them got their hair cut to go along with his chemo hair, which he's been losing, and uh, mm-hmm. they're doing a combination of chemo and some natural treatments, helping with his nutrition and such. And uh, the last report was that uh, he was pretty much free of pain. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And you've yeah, been having I've a significant heard. amount of it. Have you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeesh. Yeah, I've heard that people who do choose to do both uh, have a less hard time with the harshness of chemo if they're on a, a clean diet and doing the yes. homeopathic endovita too. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. So how are you doing physiologically? What's happening? Just extreme fatigue. I get um, energy enough to do what I need to do. I'm able to teach my class, but insomnia, fatigue, uh, getting blood work done, it's coming in increments. There might be a thyroid issue. Who knows? I, I feel a little strange even dwelling on it, but, and I've been, I read Louise Hay, she said something about thyroid issues having to do with suppressing creativity, and I haven't had a sense that I've been suppressing that at all. It's been just a wonderful time of reviewing old works and writing new stuff, and so I don't understand that quite. So I'm kind of, I'm I guess I'm saying I'm in a state of curiosity and confusion. Not miserable, Mm. but I would love to get my mojo back. Just because I'm 79, I'm not accepting. I'm not accepting. Rock and roll. (laughs) Right. What's your uh, your body temperature? Oh, it's usually a little under 97. No, I haven't. I might be able to do it. I have this watch. I told you about the watch. It tells me how long I slept. And it said that I had slept for an hour and a half. So I decided I wouldn't use the watch for sleeping. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Yeah, the body temperature, you have to wait. I've taken my basal temperature before in the morning. It's usually 97.2 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's low. It's underneath 98.6. Well, there is a protocol, and I'm not, I'm, yes, it does. And I'm not directly acquainted with it, but you might want to talk to an endocrinologist about there is a protocol for boosting the thyroid to get the body temperature back up to 98.6. Reason being that uh, every one-tenth of a degree in body temperature reduces the proficiency of enzyme activities significantly. Oh, interesting. Wow. And so I know there was a friend of mine years ago that that was a specialty of his. I've I've since lost touch with him, but uh, he had a protocol where he would use a drug, and I don't remember what the drug was that he used, and but he would just, it was a thyroid medication, but he would just put people on it for a very short period of time, like a week or 10 days, and that would give yeah. their thyroid a boost and get their temperature back up. So it might be worth just inquiring if uh, if there's an endocrinologist there that uh, might be familiar with that protocol and uh, see if you can mm-hmm. get your body temperature back up and get the enzymes, you know, functioning more efficiently. And it goes off the med and it stays up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Yep. Well, it seems like 
I'm trying to tweak. You know, most of the blood work was in normal range. Um, I I went off the statin because I I thought maybe that's making me tired, and I can't tell you whether it's going to be good off of it. My heart doctor is going to be mad, but um, my nutritionist says that my cholesterol is normal. Blood pressure is normal. It's higher than it was after COVID. It went up 20 points, but it was so extremely low before that. She says it's kind of normal now. Well, your your COVID um, was probably a healing crisis then. Pulled your. Oh, you think so? Yes, ma'am. People well, are doing I their like work having... through COVID. Mm-hmm. It's a healing process. It's not a disease process. Mm. At least that's my experience. My direct experience with my own physiology and and genies as well. Yeah. You know, you've said this. I know it's true, but you have these adamant, knowledgeable doctors who will tell you adamantly that you need this drug, and then you have a person on the other side of the fence saying, oh, my God, it has side effects, and you don't want to do that? Get off of it immediately. <laughs> so right. my, nutrition, my nutritionist says, follow your gut. Well, my gut is totally mute. My gut's saying, hey, wait a minute. Who's telling the truth here? <laughs> I can't locate my gut at the moment. So mm. it's hard to hear all the voices and decide what's best. And then, you know, you're always in danger of somebody gloating because you get sick because you didn't do their protocol. And anyway. Right. You seem to be pretty clear about all that well, stuff. That's good. We'll, we'll hold the space that your gut reaffirms its activity and knowledge and gives them some guidance and direction. And you may find okay. if you can get your body temperature up that, uh, that that will help to you know, put everything back in order. That's so interesting. Nobody's ever mentioned that before. That's been yeah, there's, for um, years. There's one piece of information I couldn't track where it came from at this point, but that every one-tenth of one degree that your body temperature goes up improves in excess of 50,000 enzyme activities. I'm not saying that's true or not true, but that's one person that I've, you know, several years ago conversed about this had said that that's Mm -hmm. how key the temperature is. Wow. And, of course, if enzymes aren't working, pro- I mean, it, there's nothing, quote, unquote, chemically that can happen in the body without an enzyme activity. Nothing. I mean, digestion, you know, blood manufacture, blood cleansing, liver, nothing happens without enzymes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you can get that temperature back up, that might just make a difference. That is so interesting. Okay. And if your blood pressure was so low and you had COVID and came back to normal range, I would definitely class that as a healing crisis, not as a disease process. You know, you were obviously doing your work through the process. Yeah. But high being... 120, well, it depends on who you talk to. 
100 or 110 over 80? Doesn't that sound high to you? No, that doesn't sound high at all. Low end, that 80 number might be a little on the high side, but 110 certainly isn't. That sounds like a whole lot more normal than... 90 over 60? Yes. Hmm. Well... So it may be time for just the next level of your work. Well, I'm doing it, and this this little book, if, I hope you like it. And it's a matter of maybe taste. It might not do anything for you. But right. I have been, I have, lis- I have read it a couple of times, and I'm listening to it every day, my morning walk. I put that guy on, and he talks to me, and I, my mind is blown and blown and blown. It's like taking That's the, awesome. What is it? Yeah. And it's it's all stuff you've been teaching. No separation. Owning every, I mean, your worksheet says, what part of me has done that? He'll say right. it. He just said it in a different way. He said, when you get, when you feel as if you've reached a high, just keep in mind that the opposite is happening as well. And it never stops. You are the full spectrum at all times. We are all equal absolutely equal as soon as you feel as if you're better than or worse worse than you're in error he says you're stupid (laughs) he actually you'll like him he's he's a self-styled guy the one thing you'll object to and i don't pay attention to is he got to his first enlightenments by using lsd and he Mm -hmm. doesn't recommend it directly but he says whether you're on lsd or weed or whatever you're doing however you get there this that and the other and i'm saying well he is basically saying you can get there without it but he had experiences with it in fact one of his most dramatic experiences was he went into terrible darkness it's sort of like the darkness you probably felt when you saw the the constellations in such need all your generations saying help help he said I was heading down and I was floundering I was in a bad way and then the thought came to me and this is your worksheet well what isn't there in here that doesn't deserve love and he said as soon as he had that thought he was kicked to the other end of the universe he was in bliss Mm. And so that's his approach to life. So my take would be what, my take would be is he allowed himself to drop into the deepest darkness he'd been carrying, you know, what we've been talking about that Mm -hmm. everybody has to face. And when you bring the active presence of love to that space, healing happens. That's just the way it works. It's the the bottom baseline principle of the healing process. Mm Mm-hmm. But you've been teaching that, and I've been practicing it, but what is it about the brain that somehow, even though I understood that, I understood it on a different level. Nothing changed except that somehow it was even more profoundly accessible, having listened to this guy. So I go back to the worksheet on another level. Well, you've heard me say before that, you know, uh, the bottom line is building the brain cells 
and that mm-hmm. nobody, I mean, you you teach the forgiveness process in your support group, and there'll be people that will hear it from you that will never hear it from me because of your particular vibration, your energy. And that's so true, yeah. that's I why when you introduce something that I haven't heard before, it's like, okay, I want some because I, I don't know yeah. what that person's vibration, that person's approach, what that person's experience is, is going to add to my experience, but it's the questions yeah. that open the space for that to happen that's really important. Right. He does have these little, he, he talks about himself in the most modest way. He'll say, when I'm really in a weird place or I'm really feeling lousy, he he continually admits that he is still swinging from dark to light, dark to light. But he says, I have these, I've come up with these little sayings. I'm looking around uh, in here to find a couple of them. And you will want to correct his language because he'll say, for instance, no resistance. Well, you would say, allow all, or you would make it a positive. You turn it, soften, turn it around. Yeah. He'll say, if you really dislike somebody, love yourself for disliking them. That's like that guy, what's his name? I can't remember. And the title of his book is Whatever, Whatever's Happening, Love That. Something, uh, yeah. you know, the guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, we all know him. I can't remember his name right now. Susan, somebody in the chat room wants to know the, the name of the book again and the guy that you're talking about. It's called... The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. And you can tell he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> and his name is Thaddeus Golas, G-O-L-A-S. It's a very short book. Thank you, Thaddeus. Oh, Yeah. Go beyond reason to love. It is safe. It is the only safety. He just has these little things that you can pull out if you're feeling lousy. <laughs> but you'll you'll enjoy him very much, I think. He expresses Sweet. his own feelings of his ambivalence about even writing the book. He starts out, I am a lazy man. Laziness keeps me from believing that enlightenment demands effort. Discipline, strict diet, non-smoking, or other evidences of virtue. That's about the worst heresy I could propose, but I have to be honest before I can be reverent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you love it? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That sounds like a character. He is a character. Uh, And and that sounds kind of like... Say it again? He's, he's demystified enlightenment for ah. me. I've always thought once you get there, then you're there. He says, no, <laughs> you you go in and out. That's been his experience. But what were you going to say, Michael? There's another good book out there called named Chop Wood and Carry Water. And the oh, question yeah, that I've it posits that. is, you know, before enlightenment, what do you do? Chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, what do you do? Chop wood and carry water. You know, life goes Absolutely. on. You still live. 
Yeah. But there's also another right. film, if you get a chance to see it. We just watched it the other night, came across it kind of by accident. And it's really well done from several points of view. It'll give you the opportunity to do some breathing. And okay. it's called... Just a minute. Let me reach for the package. It's called Flamin' Hot. Oh. It's and you a true story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, at this point, I don't know whether it's available anywhere else besides on Disney. I don't know whether it's coming to the theaters or what. But it's a true story about a <laughs> poor Mexican kid who is brought up in a really rough environment. And it's totally a true story. He's brought up, mm-hmm. you know, abused and, you know, he's in America and looked down on and beat up by kids at school and all of that, you know, pretty rough life until he meets a girl that, you know, she's covered in bruises from her father beating her and he's got the same. So they identified each other, became friends and ultimately marry. He's had a pretty rough time of it. They're selling drugs in L.A. or wherever it was, you know, that yeah. uh, in order to create cash flow. And uh, then they, she gets pregnant, and he decides he needs to clean up his life. So he struggles oh, and fights and struggles and finally gets a job with Frito-Lay as a janitor. Oh, oh my God. And, and the... Economy is going down at the time this happens. Again, this is a true story. The economy is going yeah. down, and they're going to close the factory that he's working at. And the CEO of the company sends around a video for all the employees, you know, sort of a rah-rah. And one of the things he says on the video is, you know, think like a CEO. I want every one of our employees to think like a CEO. So this Mexican guy who had to force his way into the job. He didn't even know how to read or write to fill out the application and almost got thrown wow. out when the guy who was interviewing him found out that he didn't fill the he, the, the guy says, did you fill this application out? And he says, well, no, actually, I can't read and write. Well, get out of here. And, the, and this guy is like, look, I'm a hard worker. I'm smart. I'll do the job, and I'll do it well. So the guy hires him. Well, after hearing this video and the company's going down the tubes because the economy's bad, he decides that there's got to be a way to save the factory. And he goes to his boss and his idea is, well, you know, there are millions of Mexicans in America that are being ignored by companies like, you know, we spend money on snacks like everybody else, but we want this hot, spicy food and you don't give it to us. Yeah. And he goes to his boss with that, and his boss kind of poo-poos him, just get back out there and sweep the floor. So he sneaks into his boss's office, and he gets the phone number of the CEO, and he calls the CEO and says, I have an idea, and I'm going to save this factory. Well, make a long story short, because we're just about through with showtime, and the, and the show's going to cut us off. The last frame of the movie is a picture of him as they're giving him his going away party, party 
when he retires after 40 years as a multicultural uh, marketing director for the company because he saved the factory and he brought a whole new line of products on called Flaming Hot. And Gene and I actually went out yesterday. That's why I reached over. I've got the package here and bought a package of them. We've never (laughs) eaten them before. But he actually created a whole industry. He was the janitor. And, uh, I mean, it's a really heartwarming, it's a faith-based story. You know, his wife is like, you know, we can do this. And anyway, it's it's really well done. It's a very enjoyable movie and has some very, very good points in it. So if you get Excellent. a chance to watch Flaming Hot. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the synopsis, too. It's a great story. Love it. Okay. It is. Well, very heartwarming. Yeah. All right, young lady, we appreciate you. Lots of love and blessings. Thanks. You, too. Say hello, hey. Tim, for us. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us, everybody. The best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. You can give it. The world needs it. It's time. Blessings. Bye-bye.